I think it's just the fact that I've gotten a chance to now do these podcasts, right? And be able to speak to the dancing and highlight stuff that I thought most people knew. And I think a lot, but not everybody. And then to be able to tie that into Black men in America when we have this other big issue and to be able to talk kind of across, you know, you can be serious in one moment and have fun. That's the biggest thing, like that, that, that we can be multi-dimensional, multi-talented. And I don't think that we expect that of ourselves enough. And I don't think society allows us to enough. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Selfie Podcast Show. It is a really special time. I really felt the need to amplify some voices. And Dr. Jason Campbell and I have been talking and I've been meaning to get him on the podcast at what better time than now. So for those of you who've been living under a rock, I'm talking about Dr. Jason Campbell. Anesthesia resident, the TikTok doc, who is making millions smile with his smooth dance moves. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with me, my name is Tori Meskin. I am the founder of the Selfie Podcast Show, where we are on a mission to make healthcare hip one selfie at a time. Today's really going to be a fun one, you guys. We're really going to get the man behind the account. So Dr. Campbell has had millions of views on TikTok. He has been featured on several news stations, including Good Morning America. He currently holds an increasingly huge influence on Instagram and TikTok. He's a contributing writer to the Seattle Times and the Chicago Tribune. Not to mention the fact that he has been a COVID frontline provider during this pandemic. He's busting moves. He's raising spirits. He's touching the younger part of our youth to help show them what you can become. And I am inspired by him. And so I really wanted to bring him on to help amplify his voice, his message. And I really hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. So without further ado, let's dive in. Thank you so much for coming in, Jason. I'm so excited to have you on today. Okay, so we have first questions off first, of course. How many pairs of Crocs do you actually own? Oh, gosh, probably 10 or, 10 or 11. I mean, I- I'm like shook. Hey, man, I'm trying to bring Crocs back in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> the only apparently, thing that happened this year. Crocs I don't know. coming back. I know. Well, apparently you're the only person that can make them cool. So, you know, That's here we go. <laughs> We'll, we'll see what happens in 2021. Yeah. yeah, you better get that sponsorship, you guys. We've got to get a code for everybody. Um, okay, so how are you holding up? First things first, how are you doing? Yeah, thanks for asking. It's uh, it's obviously a crazy time in America for all of us, especially crazy if you are a black man here in America. Um, but a lot of this stuff has been transpiring for quite some time. Um, some of us have become numb to it. I, I don't think that I am one, but... Um, as I wrote about, you know, it's, you know, I had my experience with the cop just maybe insinuating or thinking that I had a, a weapon in my mother's Lexus that what? I didn't, but, you know, yeah, in the Seattle Times article, I talked about that, but at the time I just was, you know, compliant and uh, wow. made someone say complacent and then was able to I was able to talk about that later. That How long ago was this that that happened? It was in 2012. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, I just, yeah, the time that we're in is so polarizing, which is why I, I do feel like I really wanted to get you on here today because I feel like not only are you a black man, but you're also, you know, in the medical world. And I think that's something that we just honestly, like, don't even think about um, in the medical world. Like, it's never come to my, it's never in the forefront of my mind, obviously, until now. And I think it's something that we should head on. And so I'm really excited to bring you on today. So, um, you know, many people know a little bit about you here, especially now. But for people who don't know you, um, where, where, what, tell us a little bit about your background. Like, let's get the spiel. Absolutely. Um, So I'm originally from Northwest Washington, D.C., I went from D.C. down to Emory University uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, in Hotlanta. When I was down at Emory, I, uh, well, one, I loved it. Two, I was able to, to run track there and garner All-American accolades for D3 and captain the team as a senior. Um, you, know, I, you know, we talk about this a lot. I studied anthropology and human biology, and I had a minor in sociology. So I was a big social science guy. So through and through, and still to this day, uh, but that's always been a passion of mine. After I left Emory, I came back to D.C., did City Year, AmeriCorps program, fantastic 1,700 hours of service, getting back in the community, getting back to the community that, uh, that looks like me, 
that uh, that I love. And uh, so spent time in Spin Garden Senior High School in D.C. And then I did a master's at Georgetown and George Mason University to get ready for medical school and called a post back, but we got a master's degree out of it, which was incredible. And from there to the Ohio State University College of Medicine and um, where I've been, you know, for the last four years, uh, or I should say the last uh, six years ago before coming out here to Portland, Oregon, where I'm a resident uh, in the Department of Anesthesiology and Perioperative Medicine at Oregon Health and Science University. That's me. Do you do you always think that you were always good in school? Was that something that you were just like good at? Do you think- yeah, in part. Uh, when it came to the sciences or chemistry or physics, tough. Organic chemistry may be tough for everybody, but for general chemistry and for physics, so general chemistry, the, uh, I did the first semester, didn't do that great. Second semester, I ended up actually withdrawing. I know I talked about this a little bit on my blog, but I actually withdrew from that course, so I wasn't going to get another poor grade and just to kind of refocus and re, um, just, just, just kind of recalculate how what I needed to do to be successful. So it wasn't like a, I'm not going to be pre-med. It was just like, hey, this is, you know, you're a second semester uh, freshman and you have already had a pretty good GPA outside of this one course. Like, let's just rethink things and, and reconfigure. So. So I like going to the specifics of things because I think that's like, you know, I want to go down to the nitty gritty. So yeah. can you give me a step-by-step journey of because I think nursing is so different than medical. So breaking down your right. school journey from now, because you're in your medical residency. But tell me about the point, like getting up to this point. Um, sure. Well, you know, the, first, I mean, the first point that you have to start with is my upbringing, right? So my mother is an um, epidemiologist, a research scientist by training, and now she's high up in academia as an administrator and still a professor. She even teaches at some courses at Georgetown uh, University School of Medicine. And so when I was growing up, she was the director of the Howard University Cancer Center. And so I was around all different shades of black and brown physicians, clinicians, researchers, leaders, uh, you know, global health experts. I mean, the whole gamut, they all look like me in one way or another. And it was incredible just to be like a five, six-year-old boy growing up in that environment. Like, this is absolutely insane. And so, um, you know, nothing, something that I didn't even understand how impactful that would be back then. So you start there. Then you go into like high school and I'm like, yeah, I want to do science and be a doctor one day, but like chemistry is hard and I'm not, I mean, just the stuff is hard. I'm much better in English and in history, but here I am still wanting to be a doctor and I started running track, running cross country. So then as an athlete, having some injuries, I would go see orthopedic surgeons. I would go see sports medicine physicians. And so I, okay, I said, oh, you can, you can, you can help people and you can have your love of athletics and sports medicine could be a goal. Okay, so then get into college and, you know, we're pushing the same agenda, but I'm pretty mad, but I'm taking just the bare minimum that I need, you know, just the basic courses because I still was loving the social sciences and I was very much like, hey, I don't want to, um, I, I, my focus is, I, I love writing a paper for English or anthropology, you know, I just, I'm not ready to give that up yet. Um, and so I wasn't ready. I didn't understand the level of focus and complexity and the level of really kind of delving into the hardcore sciences that it takes to really procure those great scores and grades. So I wasn't there yet, but I was, you know, I was getting by in the sciences. And I think like my, my GPA in, in, for my major was like a three, seven, three, eight. Overall, I was a three, three. My science GPA, I don't think it was above 3.0. So I knew I was going to need more work with a postback. Okay. And so then went in AmeriCorps, great to focus on someone else but then you have to kind of turn that wheel back on yourself and then I did that master's at Georgetown which was you know three five with tough upper level courses and ready for medical school you know an MCAT times two a lower score but hey here's what I'm working with complete package and see what happens four interviews four acceptances the Ohio State University was the best one and that's where I ended up Columbus Ohio 614 today's the day 614 Well, so what I love about this is that you, I think you and I resonate maybe on that pretty similarly. Um, For me personally, school was, I actually really struggled through school. I still do. But, um, But I think for people out there who 
you know, feel like they don't they, or like they're not smart enough or they just don't know. You know, it's like to me, I'm like, no, there's so many routes to go. There's so many, you know, you just have to push yourself in a different way. You really have to, you know, find the way that it works for you. And I think that's like such a cool thing to be able to talk about talking, going into your anesthesia background. Did you always know you wanted to be an anesthesia, like being a doctor, you know, talk like, let's go there. No, I mean, you talk about how some denials or rejections or hindrances can turn into success. So I wanted to be a trauma surgeon. I I interviewed at the University of Connecticut, met this awesome female pediatric surgeon. And she was like, we're talking, she's like, I read your personal statement. Your mom seems awesome. Like, you can be a trauma surgeon. You can do health disparities work. I'm like, and I want you to mentor me, you know? And, and so, you know, that was one of the surgery interviews I went on. I dual applied, but as I was going through, I loved what I saw with the anesthesiology, uh, the anesthesiologist I met, um, the programs I got a chance to interview after anesthesia, I thought were a little bit higher ranked nationally. And I just said, I can do pediatric anesthesia. And that was something I did as a third year medical student. And I said, I love it. You know, the, those, those pediatric anesthesiologists are, physicians and they're they they but they care as much about what the stuffed animal's name is that the five-year-old brought in as they do the last time that the five-year-old ate or had anything to drink and that was special and I saw that nationwide children's in Columbus and I said hey if you do anesthesia you can get back to the pediatric population and you know that you're a big kid you know what you love taking care of this this group of of wonderful uh this wonderful demographic so it was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to rank my anesthesia programs higher. And um, I did, and I ended up at OHSU, which was my number one choice and have never looked back. And there are some times where I, I, you know, I, I like, I think, I think I had good dexterity. I could have been a good surgeon, but I'm really happy. But I think it's cool also to highlight that, you know, sometimes you think your journey is going one way and then honestly, you know, a journey that I thought I was going to go, I ended up going a different way. And I think that's actually a really great thing to talk about. And, you know, it's open a conversation for it. I feel like, so let's go to, into your um, early career days. Like, what do they look like? What have they – give us a little picture of what that looks like. Sure. So as an, as an intern, which was almost two years ago, uh, 2018 July, as an intern, you know, it was, you know, you're on medicine. You are on surgery. You do a little bit of anesthesia stuff, but you're really a, a, a part of these other teams. So um, those internal medicine hours are long. Those internal medicine hours can be anywhere from, you know, typically like sign out 6.30, um, 7 a.m., uh, sign out, and then you, you know, in the morning and then at the, in the evening. So you find like just long days um, and some monotony there and, and just kind of a grind, but it's not a lot of acute stuff. It's like just a long process of, of understanding, of thinking, of compiling, you know, not only notes, but, you know, what does this patient need? And really, what do we need to do to get this patient safely discharged in the most effective manner possible? Um you know, so that we're not, you know, wasting their money, wasting our money. You know, you want, you know, efficient turnover and but patient safety and, and care first. So, you know, medicine was like that surgery, you know, like I said, it was it was fun to kind of be back on the surgery tip and get a chance to actually work in a realm that I thought I was gonna be in. So that was good. Um, but it was a long year. Intern year at most of these in- academic institutions are long when you're anesthesia because you're off, you're off course and, and or off your, your kind of trajectory uh, for a little bit. But a lot of what we do in anesthesia comes from medicine. So being with those medicine residents and the um, internists was very helpful, like on my exams and just kind of as I now think about how to manage cardiac disease in the operating room or how to manage um, pulmonary disease in the operating room like albuterol is albuterol beta 2 agnet you know so yeah it's helpful. interesting because you guys i mean that's something that i don't think that we i don't think about a whole lot especially as a nurse but now i'm obviously much more intrigued with it is you have to know so much about so many different d- disease processes and how to handle it and like heart and lungs and what a disease heart and lung might look like and the complexity of it so going micro into the anesthesia life what is it like being an anesthesiologist like day to day as a president yeah i mean it, the gig is so right there's like just kind of two different ways to look at it so once you graduate residency you have a private practice anesthesiologist they got the bigger boats and then you have the academic anesthesiologist you got they got the canoes they, they tease me about um what is different if you're an academic which is what i want to do then you are it's a life of mentoring 
being a mentee still as you work your way up, um, you know, you are helping shape the focus and the curriculum and the and sculpt the next generation of anesthesiologists. I think that's really powerful. Um, you're tied to these institutions, which can be fun, you know, to have like an undergrad as well as a medical school and then you have residence fellows. So when I was at the Ohio State, you know, one of the physicians, he's like, Jason, today I worked, I taught a nutrition class to the, to the undergrads and pre-meds. And then I worked with uh, you as a medical student and I have my residence here. I have the fellows. So I've got a chance to work with every stage of this wonderful process in just one day. So that's what academics like. Prior practice, you go to work, you do your job uh, efficiently, and you have a really nice rapport with the surgeons because you might, might be like you and I working together every single day. So, you know, shoot the breeze, have a nice rapport with them, and then you go home at the end of the day with your family or whatever and do it all again the next day. So it's just a little bit of a different thing, but I've always been about giving back and giving back is a little bit easier facilitated if you are in academics. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, and your goal at the end of the day, you want to work in pediatrics, is that correct? Yeah, at a big children's hospital and mentor uh, medical students and residents and see where life takes me. It's such a fun, I love peds. Pediatrics is where my heart is too. So I love that. That's where you want to go with it. Um, so tell me about, like, as far as anesthesia, the role, where do we see you guys, like, OR, on the floors, like, what's your yeah, role like? Right. Yeah, so, you know, my my main role is in the OR, in the operating room, uh, you know, we're the ones that are, making, you know, safely putting you to sleep with IV medication most times, intubating, if it, if that, if it requires that whatever surgery is happening that, you know, protect the airway, so if we need paralysis or paralytics, administering that, keeping you safe during the procedure, and then safely waking you up for emergence after the procedure. So yeah, I mean, I'm an OR kind of guy, but with anesthesia, as I tell a lot of um, medical students that are not aware, you can do a ton. So with anesthesia, you can do OB anesthesia or obstetrics, you know, you're the epidural king or queen, huge. You can do cardiac anesthesia where you're working and doing more of the, the, the heart surgeries. You can do pain medicine, which is obviously uh, immense need and uh, having to balance the opioid addiction with still treating pain appropriately is a huge dilemma as we move into the next decade. Uh, you can do pediatric, you know, near and dear to my heart, um, uh, as well as you can do neuro, uh, you can do neuroanesthesia, and that's, you know, really a, a nuance and, and incredibly uh, complex and beautiful field. And then you can also do intensive care. And, you know, so if you say, hey, you know what, the OR is not my place. I don't necessarily get along with the surgeons that well, or I don't necessarily like that. You can say, I'm going to go and just literally spend all your time in the ICU. So it's really a beautiful thing with anesthesia, how much variety you can have. Yeah, there really is, which, you know, I, you know, I never even really eat. When now that you think about it, it is a pretty, it's, there's so many places to go with it. Tell me this. So the first time you put someone to sleep, like how much anxiety do you have doing that? Yeah, you just don't know, you know, when that blood pressure starts to lower and, you know, maybe a little bit of tachycardia, the heart rate increase, you're not sure what the parameters are. Oh, is that, that's that's a little low. Is that too low? Is that so, um, very special. Being a NICU nurse, I'm like, we deal with that. You know, when you're the one doing it, when you're putting them to sleep, like that's going to be a little anxiety. I'll tell you, I'll tell you on the adult side, you have a little bit more leeway. Okay. Uh, On the pediatric side. Yeah. You better believe that I was like, you know, (laughs) I'm like, Hey, is it hot in here? Or is it just me? You know, (laughs) down my back. Yeah. Cause you, uh, for sure that, uh, especially, you know, neonates, the younger they are, because we have, you know, it'll go anywhere from three months, three months or less in age, three to 12 months, and then 12 to three years. And these are all parameters. So I've almost hit all my parameters that I want to hit our goals, if you will, to graduate. But yeah, you better, you better believe it is. Uh, yeah, that gets your, you're like, whoa, it's, you know, but that's what they tell you. Like, you know, it's so funny that you, I, you, I, just, I just hit my chest, my heart beating fast. But, you know, it's like even when you get to uh, a, a person that you might need to administer um, CPR, it's like breathe first and slow yourself down. And I do that when I go to do, to do trauma stuff, um, which is rare. We don't do a lot of trauma stuff at OHSU. But when I do, or anything that's like a little bit more emergent, I kind of step back and I, I try to take a deep breath. And I, you know, really slow myself down, which is, I know, not the 99 or 95% Jason Kaling that you guys see and just kind of take it all in and then do what I need to do. So it's really important. What does 
a good day look like for you in anesthesia? Man, a good day in anesthesia, you get there, you know, you're there properly. You need to be somewhere between 6 a.m. and 6.15 a.m. You set your, your room up. So, you know, you do your anesthesia machine check, MS made. So machine, suction, monitors, airway, your uh, IV uh, medications, and then your, you know, and, and uh, having sure you have your IV set up to administer a second IV once the patient's already asleep, and then your drugs. And, and having all that set up and using that mnemonic every time so you don't miss something is huge. And then uh, after that, go meet the patient, meet their family members, and talk to them, comfort them, answer their questions, and then a little bit later, take them back to the OR, get get the airplane off the ground smoothly. And then, you know, once you're coasting and you land, it's just, it's really nice to have a day like that. You and the attending anesthesiologist are talking about uh, different problems that could arise or different uh, intra-op potential concerns, whatever you, you know, just, you know, talking about medical knowledge and then your day's over and you do it again. I mean, so it's, it's tiring, but it's incredibly rewarding. I will tell you one of my favorite people to always talk to are the anesthesiologists because they're always the ones that'll, you know, they'll sit there and they'll talk with you. They'll banter. They'll kind of tell you what's going on. Um, you know, it's, and they're always the ones when I go in to pick up our babies, it's like, you know, we're post-oping, they'll kind of give us like a rundown. It's fun. It's, it's, I really enjoy the anesthesia team that I've I've worked with, so I think it's yep. you're you're gonna fit the personality really well. It'd be really fun. Thank you. I, hey, I, I you know, Lord willing. <laughs> so um, I like going micro also into morning routines. So you know, obviously quarantine has like ruined everybody's life. But what does a day in the life look like for you now? Absolutely. So yeah, so right now, while I'm on my research and and just kind of handling stuff like that, it is very different, right? Right now, it's, you know, I wake up seven to eight o'clock. And um, I go right to my computer, check emails, Uh, I delve right into some of the academic literature I need, because I have two papers I'm working on right now on the academic side, both kind of informed opinion pieces, then I have an op ed I'm hoping gets published in hopefully one of these national newspapers come Sunday for Father's Day. Looking, you know, a little preview, look at the loss of the black father in America. So I hope you guys look out for it. So I'm really very optimistic. I think it's one of the strongest pieces I've ever written. And then um, and then, like I said, like the day goes by like that. I have a little time if I want to run an errand or two, um, you know, dentist appointment on Monday, tomorrow, but, mm-hmm. uh, keep these teeth clean. <laughs> nice uh, and white. But, They're pearly nice white teeth. <laughs> I appreciate you. Um, and then, and so that's it. So this is obviously different, but you know, come, you know, a week or so from now, what, you know, wake up alarm goes off at five twenty AM. Um, you know, I, I, I sit in my bed sometimes, um, if I can't sleep, especially, but even if I wake up and I run through in my head exactly what I need to do in the morning to be successful. I, oh, so I, so everything from like the moment I walk into the hospital, like, okay, I need to change into my scrubs in like four to five minutes. Make sure I don't forget my stethoscope, which I do sometimes make sure that I make sure I grab, okay, my vocera, my walkie talkie, my, my pager. Like all these things I need to make sure that I have. And it's like, okay, do you have it? Good. Okay. From there, what do you need to do? Okay, I'm gonna go up this stair. And then where, where's the closest machine to grab the, the drugs and the medications? Because if you already know what OR you're going to go to, then go and grab the medications and the drugs and, and take those to the rooms. And I'm like, where's the closest um, drug machine? Go there. I already know the patient's name, get the drugs, and I can take that right to the operating room so I can have that to set up after I check my machine. So it's just, it's, it's running through that stuff because the only times that things have gone wrong or it's like, oh, I forgot to grab this and now I'm, I'm, I'm flustered or I'm rushing. I feel like it's interesting because in the nursing world and it's, it is something that I think comes with time. Like you can't, you can say that till you're blue in the face, right? Like prepare your day, think ahead. But I don't think you really understand it until you're in it. And then you're, you know, you get those routines down and how to set yourself up successfully for your day. And, but I think that just comes with time. Um, a skill to learn and the, the, the best skill to learn is to always give yourself enough time. A lot of errors happen when you're trying to rush. So give yourself enough time. Uh, best foot forward. You make a mistake, own it. Uh, if you're, if you don't know something, admit it. Your attendings, they do know. They have probably reviewed everything. They know it. It's not going to make or break your day or career to say, "Hey, you know what? I didn't catch that." Um, you know, and and you know, I had a case where you know I, I was you know rushing, trying to go to the, the the Trailblazers basketball game, and I'm also trying to pre-op, and it's just like, cause you know, as a resident, you, we're trying to live a little bit of life too. I mean, and I know some people might, oh, if you're a resident, that's all you can do, and it's like, well, in 2020, I don't think that's you necessary. can have a life. 
Yeah, and so, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I got courtside tickets and I'm trying to, you know, and then I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that about the patient. Oh, so I did go and look it up before the next day, but when I was talking to my staff, I just wasn't as prepared as I could have been. So I was like, hey, that's a lesson learned. Don't let that happen again. Move forward. Yeah. So I want to go into sort of the fun part of this because, so I found you, I think it was like, early COVID when I first found you. And you went viral. I mean, I'm talking like you blew up the internet. So let's talk about your social media because I love that aspect. I think it's super fun. Like, let's go there. How did this all start? Yeah. So, you know, the key is that I have always been like this. I got some people reached out to me from Ohio, man, this cat's been dancing forever. You know, (laughs) high school's like, I taught him that. So it was just like a, hey, you know what? It started because I wanted to reach the, um, really the young black male. And you, you see that throughout my platform. Hey, young black male, not just an athlete, not just a rapper or entertainer. Let's put you into medicine. Let's put you into scrubs. Let's put you in a suit and tie as a lawyer, as an next Johnny Cochran. Let's put you as, as a businessman, you know, and in whatever capacity you want and that you dream, that's where I want to see you, those dreams come to fruition dream and put in the work. And so when I started doing this, you know, I talked to one of my best friends from Chicago, who's OBGYN at Northwestern. She said, Hey, yeah, my friend, she just called and said, Hey mom, you know, her son was like, mommy, mommy, like I can dance and be a doctor like him. And she's like, that's exactly why Jason's doing it. And so, uh, so that's how it started, but it started kind of around the COVID-19 a little bit before, but then all of a sudden, you know, we're dancing in the hospital, COVID-19 It's like, Oh, Hey, this is uplifting. Like this is, a lot better than some of the other stuff that we see. And, and I was just, you know, we were hoping to just humanize, like, you know, doctors take them so seriously, but did you know what? That we get, that we can, we can dance a little bit. We can, we can smile a little bit, you know, Oh no, doctors can't dance or smile. It's like, no, that's, 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 that's the past. So we're, we're, we're moving past that time and a place for everything, but it has been such a warm response. It's so cool. Like your, your account is, it's so fun to watch. And, you know, I don't obviously know any of your coworkers, but I know you, you light up their faces. I mean, I can say the same for Tony for when he does the dancing with his patients, like everyone, like people now get offended if he doesn't ask to dance with them. So, you know, it's it, but it lights your day up because, you know, here's the thing. And we talked about this a lot, Tony and I um, just, you know, we're working in heavy situations, you know, the background, you know, people, you know, we, we deal with Healthcare can be very heavy. It can be very serious, as you said. It can be very, you know, we take ourselves very seriously. And because we do deal and, you know, we are learners for so many years and we're so educated and all these things. But I think there's also this huge dynamic, which is why I'm so happy to have you on here and platform your voice, because I think there's so much room for that, for some creativity, some fun, to be relatable, to put a smile on someone's face. Yeah, I mean, let's let's keep it real. Like, you know, when you're in medicine and there's not that many of you, our program does have arguably the most black male anesthesia residents in the country. That's amazing. In Portland, Oregon. That's amazing. Right on time. Thank you. Yes. Right so on I, time. I rarely walk into a room where I don't have someone or multiple people that look like me. And that is incredible. But I also would say that I know that that's a rarity and that's not obviously we have that, then I know that just based on sheer numbers and percentages that there are other places where it's one of, it's there's one. Right. And so, like I said, I want to change that, you know, black positions. Do you want to touch the younger kids who are coming up? You want to touch the young men? You want to, yeah. Cause you got to touch them early. You know, I love working when I worked in the high school, I loved it, but a lot were already, uh, there was a certain mindset already ingrained that couldn't, we couldn't touch. So along that bloodline, what do you feel is the best part of your social media reach? Um, I think that it's, you know, I can't say, but I have a weird, I have like some international stuff. So it's, I don't think it's necessarily that. I think it's just the fact that I've gotten a chance to now do these podcasts, right? And be able to speak to the dancing and highlight stuff that I thought most people knew. And I think a lot, but not everybody. And then to be able to tie that into Black men in America when we have this other big issue and to be able to talk kind of across, you know, you can be serious in one moment and have fun. That's the biggest thing, like that that, that we can be multi-dimensional, multi-talented. And I don't think that we expect that of ourselves enough. And I don't think society allows us to enough. So that's the biggest reach 
message message for my platform, hands down. Yeah. How do you, how has social media changed your your life? Like, do you feel like there's like, especially because you went viral? I mean, you did you literally wake up one day and have like like how did this happen? Give me the breakdown. Literally, I was sitting down in our. I, I we did that video. I posted it. Next day, I come in. I'm like, oh, it's like four hundred thousand views. I go to our ambulatory center where I'm sitting with Dr. Cross. He's ahead of it, basically, from an anesthesia standpoint. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, we're at 500,000. We're just sitting there. It's like 600,000. So, I mean, within, like, we're watching this thing live, 0.1, 0.2, 0.3. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, do you think we'll get a million? He's like, you know, with his southern accent, you know, I, yeah, you bet, you better will, you know. <laughs> I bet you will. Better believe going to get millions. And, uh, and, and. I know that's not Southern and, uh, and yeah, million, 1.2. And then all of a sudden, good morning, America, Fox and friends in, in the DMS hated, you know? And so that was, yeah, that was special, you know, talking to Michael Strahan and stuff, things that you'll never forget in life. I don't care where I go. I don't care if I'm next to, you know, it's Michael and Jason on good morning, America, or if it's like, I just, you know, fade off into rural Oregon and you never hear from me again. That will be a very special time that I always tre- uh, treasure. So do you, is there a favorite part of all this that's happened to you? Like, is this has, like, what's your favorite part of all this? Oh, talking to Michael Strahan was sweet and him doing that. Doing the that was sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was super cool. I got a chance to talk to one of the New York Times reporters, Tara Parker Pope. Uh, I hope her piece is going to come out about me, but that was dope. She said, JC Beck is some tougher skin. I mean, so I was, I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, like I gotta like she's like you know what did she say the white lights are, are are really hot you know that's what they say you know it's like yeah it's it's you know people will criticize and that's part of the game and I'm like okay so things that I did not really think about a lot you know I had gotten some criticism but not you know and and I was like this is just completely different like you go viral and everybody's got something to say good or bad so I was um, actually that's my second question is yeah. uh what, least favorite part and or something that you maybe want to myth bust about social media. Yeah, I mean, people will say stuff to you that they may not say to your face. I'm not saying say it to my face, like into like a fight. I'm like, you know, we can have a discussion. You know, I, one of the guys I asked him to videotape me and he's like, oh, well, I don't know if I agree with this. And I'm like, hey, we're friends. Well, we have been. I'm very respectful to you. We've had a good rapport. Like, tell me more. Like, what are your thoughts? What a, what um, what bothers you? Please. Like, I, like, I, maybe to a detriment, really do care what people think about me. So if you tell me something that I can actually fix and that something that I'm like oh I never thought of that then I'll do it right some people are like we we love seeing the final product we just don't necessarily want to see you doing it like it, it rubs us the wrong way to see you doing it. I'm like okay so we can make these videos and you can like just all of a sudden just pops up and you're like oh this is great like Jason you're a beautiful dancer it's there right so great because I'd rather that than making these videos in front of people that are like cringing that we're doing it in front of them as if they're you know part of the issue if people have an issue with it but uh like i said all that noise calmed down when black people got started getting killed again so here we are yeah yeah i will say it's you know it's a very polarizing thing in the um in the nurse healthcare world as well where we get a lot of flack you know because people say like oh you're not taking care of your patients and things like that but you know, the reality is we have some downtime. These are things to make it relatable to people. You know, you got to look at the bigger picture and see and have some fun. And I think it's a great, like what you've done has been so fun. I personally feel like I love your account because it's like, I don't know, I you, you have fellow doctors on there with you, you have fellow surgeons. Like I know you have your nurses with you. I think that's so yeah. fun. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're trying to, I'm trying to, and, and hoping to get a little bit, get more people involved. Like there's some people that have reached out to me, the, the PACU nurses at the children's hospital are like, come by i'm like okay let's get ready you know they want to do a little, they want to do a little cheap shuffle i'm like okay let's do it encore time so we're gonna get it popping i love it well okay so um we're obviously i want to dive into this a little bit we're obviously in a very stimulating time right now and partly why i was so excited to get you on here today is to hit this head on and so I guess I want to get out to the point of what was it like for you growing up as a black man in America? Um, can you speak to this a little bit and sort of give us the background and how it's affected you? Okay, no secret here. I'm obsessed with life hacks, especially when it comes to skincare and wellness products, especially during this pandemic when wearing a mask at the bedside for 12 solid hours has my skin a certain way and we're dealing with all this stress, I am looking for ways to optimize my skin and nutrition because what goes inside your body truly matters. So let me tell you guys about my latest favorite hum. 
as a starting point, Hum has been featured on Forbes, Vogue, Allure, Well and Good, Mind Body Green, but I really wanna tell you why I like Hum. So Hum is a nutrition supplement line and it offers a combo of potent, clean, and clinically proven ingredients designed for specific goals such as clear skin, improved sleep, hair growth, balanced mood, and overall a healthier body starting from the inside out. So let me tell you about what really sold me on these products. Being in the healthcare field, this was actually really important to me. These products and the recommendations are made from registered dietitians. So let me take you through it. You go on their website and you take a three minute quick evaluation. It goes through your diet, your moods, your workout styles, general health, skin concerns, beauty goals, and then it formulates suggested hum products to help you fill those gaps. Not to mention, a registered dietitian is also available to answer questions for ongoing support. And hum only uses all natural, clinically proven ingredients that are highly absorbable, non-GMO, and free of common allergens such as gluten, soy, and shellfish. Of course, I had to try the products first, and one of the recommendations that I absolutely love right now is called Collagen Love. So this supports skin, elasticity, and firmness. It helps minimize appearance of fine lines with collagen peptides, hyaluronic acid, and vitamin C packed all in this amazing supplement. Another one that I've been taking is for my skin specifically because I've been breaking out quite a bit from wearing that mask at the bedside is the Skin Squad Pre and Probiotic. So this contains nine ultra-targeted strains of good bacteria to help balance the gut. Hum has been formulated by experts. It is clean and natural, rigorously tested, and provides real results for your mind, body, and mood. And guess what? I have something super awesome for all the Selfie Podcast listeners. Hum is offering you 20% off of your first order of $29 or more with code SELFIE, C-E-L-L-F-I-E. Not to mention the fact that I am a freak for efficiency. I need things delivered to my home. So Hum offers a fabulous, flexible subscription where they deliver your super cute, chicly packaged supplements right to your doorstep. So if you guys want to give Hum a try, head over to humnutrition.com, fill out their quiz, and use code SELFIE, C-E-L-L-F-I-E, at checkout for your 20% off. All right, you guys, let's head back to the show. Growing up as a black man in America, just based on your skin color is certainly one thing that we all share in common. You get pulled over by the cops, it's the first thing they see, or in other interactions on the streets. But growing up black in America from a middle, upper middle, lower upper class family is different at times than poor and black in America, which has always been you know, completely marginalized and forgotten. So, you know, my mom's a research scientist, you know, academician, my father's a lawyer. So I, I had that level of privilege at midnight in a dark, on a dark street, it doesn't matter, but the next day it does, right? Well, we're calling, we're going to call this lawyer or we're going to do this or like, you know, talk to somebody at Georgetown, you know, whatever you may have it. So that was different. I, and I, and I don't, you know, I was spoiled, but have never been entitled and don't take that lightly. But so my experience, like I said, I had that one incident with a cop. I've had good experiences with cops, um, more than not. I was taught to call the cops if I needed something. Whereas there are people that are black men that are like, no, no, I avoid the cops at all costs, at no matter what. I never tried to interact. And it was, it's hard to hear that because we need to, we, that's what we need to change and, and do. But for me, it was, um, there are times I've always looked to have more representation, but I was just talking to my old, my old track team, my collegiate track team. And, you know, young man asked me if I felt like, you know, having a, a black coach was really important. And I said, to me, if you can coach, you can coach. I don't care what your skin color. I, you know, if you can coach me to the best of my ability, that's the most important thing um, in that realm. But I was in the hospital as for professors, I felt differently. So, uh, so growing up for me, it, it's definitely, I, I've, I've had a very, very loving and, and, and wonderful childhood um, and young adulthood. Um, and have, you know, I have not necessarily been in the situations or the shoes of others, but I still want to speak up as much as I can for the atrocities that I have seen or heard from, from, you know, colleagues or close friends or friends or acquaintances, you know, and that's what I think is important. It's just trying to, if I can be a, 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 an ear to listen to, or if I can be a voice for someone that doesn't have one or doesn't want to share theirs, then I will. So um, many of my followers who are with me know this, you know, my mom was LAPD, obviously, former LAPD. And, but 
also I'm very much a humanist and you know, I want to get specific about police brutality because I think that is something that is, you know, obviously we're still dealing with it today. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it, it's very simple. Like, I, you know, I know that um, the system, the system, the system, the system is messed up. And that's what needs to get fixed. And that's it. I know individual cops that have helped me. So I'm, I can't, I'm not going to say he's a bad cop. He helped me. I don't know if he's done other things that are bad. But the day that we met, if he was a good good person, you know, um, I think that, you know, people will argue that, you know, just there is, you know, everything about it is messed up. So then they're all bad. And I did you know, I, that whole all or none is, is hard. And I don't think sits well with me. And I don't think uh, it will, but people are angry right now. And it's hard to rationalize when people are angry and, and uh, be as logical sometimes. And, um, and I do that there needs to be some serious overhauls in some of these cities, some real serious overhauls and just uh, um, better use of the funds because there are other things that could use some of this money. It's not to say that, you know, I'm not trying to take anybody's personal money away. I'm just saying that some of these things that people have or that the overbody, overarching organizations have is crazy compared to what education could use right now, especially in the public sector of our, the American education system. It is completely fractured and shattered. I saw that in 2011 to 2012. I've seen that since I have known about it since I was in high school back in, you know, 03 and meaning, people that look like me from other high schools and our levels were different when I was learning and what they were learning. It wasn't that they were, I was smarter than them. It was that I was in a place in an environment that was pushing me to be the best version of myself. And I felt like they weren't. And, you know, you shouldn't have to pay for a private education, 20 to $30,000 a year in high school for that. So that was the, that was the, the, um, the, the main issue. And like I said, so it ties into not only police brutality, but how can we actually empower the group of, the black community even more bring down some of those funds to the police and then put that back into the community yeah i would agree with that what are some do you have a few tips you can leave with the audience on how to make a difference in their everyday lives yeah plan you know um plan you know three to five year plan five to ten year but you know after ten even the five to ten year let stuff happen i never ten years ago i was in atlanta georgia hot atlanta Black Hollywood. If you told you I'd be in homogenous Portland, Oregon, and ten years I would say you crazy as hell. Don't talk to me. Don't read my palm. Leave me alone. And then all of a sudden, uh, here I am in Portland, Oregon. So that was not expected, and that's been one of the blessings of my life. So um, go with the flow. You know, uh, allow blessings to come to you. But obviously, if you have a dream, chase it and chase the hell out of it. Speaking to upcoming healthcare providers. Um, do you have advice for them or any, like, like three tips that you think that they could use? Yeah. And if you are a, a pre-med and you're in undergrad right now, then one thing I'm going to tell you, uh, go out on Saturday night, Sunday, all day in the library. I mean, you know, maybe a break for a bathroom, some snacks, and maybe a run, but really capitalize on doing well the first time in your pre-med courses. So you don't have to retake courses or so you do not necessarily have to do a post-bac laureate program unless you just decide, you know what, I can benefit from that. Um, Take those upper level science courses in undergrad, like really, you know, be whatever major you want to be. And that's really important in 2020, English, music, anthropology, sociology, major in whatever you want, just realize that one day, and maybe because of this, it's going to be all about the sciences. So make sure you understand how to best study for the sciences and get right for them. That's my first pearl. Secondly, I would say, don't be embarrassed by having to do a post-bac. And sometimes that's the best thing that you can do. And don't rush it. I took three years off. I graduated in 2011 from Emory. In 2014, I started at The Ohio State. When I started, some of my really good friends were fourth-year medical students going to all across the country to interview for residency. And I was a first-year medical student just trying to make it to second year. And you better believe that that took me back at first. I was like, wow, damn, they're already there. But everything that happened to me at Ohio State was perfect. The timing was incredible. All the mentors, all the opportunities, the research, the becoming the president of the uh, student body, like none of that would have happened outside of that timeline. So patience is incredible. That's number two, and it's a virtue, but it, it, it can really set you up for success too. And the last pro I'd say was number three is that stay humble. It's a long journey, really long. You know, I, you know, you get into med school, you're like, I'm in med school, like I'm not pre-med anymore, but you don't know how long of a road you have. And if you have never heard it, Hear it here first on the Selfie Show, Nurse T, hear it here first. 
getting into medical school is hard. Getting out of medical school is harder. You might not selfie show. Yeah. You know, 8 4 p.m. You heard it here, everybody. <laughs> you heard it here. You getting into med school is hard. Getting out of medical school is harder. Ooh. Speaking of which, so because obviously you hit tons of roadblocks. Um, and what are some, how are you overcoming your roadblocks? And especially in the medical lifestyle, right? It's like. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, uh, you know hit a roadblock if it's hard you know take that night to recover to breathe to think about what happened to cry to be sad to be frustrated angry uh to feel doubt but don't let that doubt overwhelm you i have had self-doubt you read what i wrote for the seattle times a year ago i have certainly had self-doubt but i did not allow self-doubt to dictate the future or my future i just allowed it to say hey or if it really i probably allowed it to push me harder like get rid of that self-doubt and so um you know uh don't be in denial and ask for help i've always asked for help i right now i got one of my attendings meeting with me we're meeting once a week to go over questions for my upcoming exam to review stuff i mean so i don't feel like i've made it i feel like yes being on the selfie show Praise baby Jesus, I'm on my way, but I uh, still have a long way to go. And I'm years ahead of somebody that's about to start first year of medical school. So take it slow, stay humble, and go for it. So you have a lot of moving pieces in your life right now, um, including your social. And I know you are a guest writer. Um, I know something that you are really passionate about is writing. Yeah. How do you manage everything? I told him I pass organic chemistry. I don't need a, uh, a media specialist. But no, <laughs> shout out to Tracy Brawley, OHSU. She helped me out a lot when I was getting all those media requests early on. But, um, you know, I, everything you put in a calendar on your phone, because I realized if I try to put it in a calendar on the computer, it might not be there, but literally right to the phone. So I'm like, okay, I have this, this, and this. And then I really, I think about something and internalize it. So I, I knew with you, I was like, okay, I know it were about seven o'clock. And I've, I have been thinking about that a little bit today throughout so i just knew like i wasn't gonna you know maybe 6 55 p.m maybe 705 but i wasn't gonna miss it by just completely blanking out so i kind of replay things in my head a good amount when it comes to my schedule so i have like a tentative idea of when i'm like hmm, you have something coming up right now right so do you as far as like shutting like because you know everyone needs to shut off how do you and social media takes a lot of energy to be honest i feel like it takes a lot of energy yeah. what do you do to you know like unwind yeah, runs, sitting outside, drinks with uh, colleagues in a social setting. Uh, but like, I try to do as much as I can outside. It's like my favorite thing. I think that when I was in Atlanta, especially those like late evening nights, 75 degrees, just st the wind is still. It's like, man, I, you know, I would just be sitting on the curb, like outside of our athletic facility, you know, letting my legs try to flush out. Well, um, and you were an athlete, right? So yeah, you, yeah, yeah so you got to get that out. You know, yeah, so just that's that. Um, so yeah, I run. I ran today for about thirty-five minutes uh, before we talked, and it goes a long way. It goes a very long way. So yeah, that's the number one way to for me, and that I push to to uh, to do that. It's like run and just keep. You know, I used to run for competition. Now I run for mental stability, uh, for joy, just to take in new cities, to take in new cities, to take in new environment it's amazing well maybe we'll get you down in la area come on baby i'm getting ready <laughs> all right before we head out um is there anything upcoming you want to share with their audience or something that hey when this selfie show podcast comes out this is gonna be great so one check this out you know, <laughs> at dr jc of the dc on all my platforms uh get ready i should have a, a planning on a super dope tiktok for july 4th oh okay so we'll have to keep an eye out for that yeah, and uh, hopefully an article in a newspaper for Father's Day, which is next Sunday. So, oh, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, or on my blog. But, you know, one way or another, we're going to get that thing out because that thing I was I was writing. I was in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, so what are all your social media? Where can everybody find you? What are all your? At TikTok, at Twitter, at Instagram. It's all at DRJC of the DC, at Dr. JC of the DC. Would love to see you guys. My email's there. I have a nice little link tree. Awesome. All fancy. Now. Oh, nice and clean. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that, that's where you're going to find the selfie podcast up top soon enough. So, so yeah, check me out. And uh, if you have, if you need any advice, reach out. Awesome. And then before we head out, do you have a resource, a podcast, a Netflix, a book you love? 
as a resource for the audience before we head out? You know, a, you know, a book that I love just for the for the resources or, or what is occurring right now, Black America, this crisis, um, Invisible Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. I quoted a lot on my Instagram. The, it is poetic in the language, the diction, the verbiage. It, it, it's it's eloquent. It is it is poetry in motion. And um, to look at a black man in Chicago back in like the 1920s, 30s, um, and a lot of similarities to what we're going through now. And we'll have to get a, my hands on that one. We'll oh yeah, have to, sure. Yeah, and, um, and so that's it. And then um, as far as you know, I'm, I'm on a little Narcos action right now on Netflix. But actually, you know, let me let me, let me stay with the theme. So I said Ralph Ellison, Invisible Man all american on netflix the story of a young black man from compton to the to beverly hills everything that he's going through joining if you will uh interracial mixed family and enlightening for this um his kind of brother that's inter that's mixed with what he's done in that you know black is black and they have a scene with the cops in that scene and uh all american my mom watched it she said she couldn't stop it's really a story of my life versus my father so yeah all american on netflix shout out to daniel ezra uh tay diggs uh monet mazur the french amazing superstar so uh two episodes all american check it out okay awesome Thank you so much for your time, Jason. Seriously amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And you know, one thing in your story, thank you so much. Uh, I am super excited. Your questions were great. I love that you really delved into things that I think that all races need to hear and then even into some of the intricacies of medicine and the um, complexities and how to navigate those waters because becoming a physician is incredibly rewarding, rewarding but tough, exactly. Holy smokes. I hope you guys love this as much as I did recording it. Dr. Campbell was such a treat to get on. And honestly, I want to get him in studio. So one of these days, we will make that happen, I promise. So per usual, you guys, thank you so much. I truly value your time. I look forward to bringing you guys more selfie shows. In order to support the show, please head over to rate and review us. And I actually want to get very specific with this. Let us know what part of your episode you got something good and tangible, a good takeaway that you could take away from the show. It really means a lot to us. So in addition to that, if you guys leave your Instagram handle in the review, we will be sending over some super cute selfie swag. So leave your Insta handle in the review. We'll send over some super cute stickers and a selfie badge reel featuring Selena, our selfie icon. Make sure to be following us on our Insta at C-E-L-L-F-I-E podcast. Make sure to hit that subscribe button. You can find all of our episodes on www.tipsfromtory.com. And make sure to check out those show notes. They have lots of information about our guests and our sponsors. And thank you so much for listening, you guys. Catch you on Tuesday.